Original content. Content. Compelling discussions. Audio on demand. This is a Podcast 225 production. A new day is upon us. Where the decisions we made yesterday affect the landscape of tomorrow. Today, Today, we talk about it. Discussion, dialogue, and experience all collide on The Clay Young Show. All right, all right. Thanks, Neil. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of The Clay Young Show here at podcast225.com on the iHeartMedia app in the Apple Podcast app and airing on weekends in Baton Rouge on Talk 107.3 FM. Good to have you back here. Hopefully your year is productive and moving along well. I tell you, everybody is so busy, you feel that pace going on. I've had some travel over the last few weeks, and man, the pace of everybody. People are trying to get it, and I ain't mad at you. You need to. These last couple of years have proven how fragile life is and how you got to get every drop out of the bowl. Don't leave anything in there because you just never know when the music is going to stop. Speaking of music, let's talk about today's show. Hey, remember the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? With uh, George Clooney, I think John Goodman was in that movie and it was about these guys who ended up out of prison in the deep south and it was a comedy really funny movie and there was an actor in the movie african-american who could play the 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 guitar and he, he was the only real musician in there and his name is chris thomas king well chris thomas king is a native of baton rouge louisiana and comes from really blues and music royalty here in this part of the state because he's the son of tabby thomas if you don't know google him he was a big deal around these parts. And Chris is going to be on with us to talk about the history of the blues. Now, many people think they have a general idea of where the blues was born. But you might be wrong. And Chris is going to be here to tell you why you might be wrong. He is the author of the book, a recent book, The Blues, The Authentic Narrative of My Music and Culture. And he's going to talk about his book, talk about the history of the blues, talk about music and and the great role music had in our country's history. He's also doing an event that's taking place next week as you listen to the show on March 15th. It's going to be in West Baton Rouge if you're in the capital city region, the capital region of Louisiana, West Baton Rouge at the museum there. He's going to be hosting an historical happy hour masterclass. That's right. Say that five times fast, right? And it should be a great, great event. He's going to talk about that and tell you why you should show up on a Friday night in West Baton Rouge. And it sounds exciting. I think I'm going to be there for that. We're also going to talk today about something that I think most people would find very important, and that is getting more teachers into the classroom. Now, as you listen to the show today or well, whenever, on uh, Thursday, March 10th, from 4 to 6 p.m., there is a virtual teacher career fair going on. And registrants can sign up at teach225.com. And we're going to be talking with Emily LeBeau. Actually, we're going to start with Emily. She's going to be in here in just a second. She is the Senior Director of Talent Development and Workforce Strategy at New Schools for Baton Rouge. And uh, she's going to talk about why this is so important and what's happening with this teacher shortage and why this is such a good thing for you to tie into. So a lot of great stuff going on, and we're going to tell you all about it. And you can also check out Chris Thomas King on this week's episode of The Clay Young Show on TV. It airs on WBRZ+. Plus. That's Cox Channel 11, Etel Channel 2. It's also on Hulu and Roku, and you can watch it streaming live at WBRZ.com at 7.30 p.m. every Friday. You can set your DVR for that right now. And then there's a replay on Saturday at 2 o'clock p.m. and 2.30 p.m. So you can check the show out. 
And you can always hit me up with an email here since you're listening at clay at podcast225.com. That's clay, C-L-A-Y, at podcast225.com if you have a topic suggestion or if you'd like to be on the show because you have something valuable to share. We'll see about getting you in there. All right. Why are we having a problem recruiting teachers and what are we going to do about it? I'm so glad you asked. Let's get to the bottom of it. Podcast225.com. Promote your business or organization on Podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Unedited, unfiltered, undisputed. You're listening to The Clay Young Show. Back with Emily LeBeau, who is the Senior Director of Talent Development and Workforce Strategy at New Schools for Baton Rouge. She's a bundle of energy and has been in here, and we've talked all of about three minutes, and it already feels like we've known each other 10 or 15 years, right? So how are you? I am doing really well. I'm really excited to be here. I'm, I'm fascinated by this virtual hiring thing that you guys are doing right now so it's teach 225 and you're hosting a virtual teacher career fair it's happening on march 10th correct and people from 4 to 6 Mm p.m so people so is this an on-camera thing how does this work i'm glad you asked so it can be what you're up what (laughs) you're comfortable with okay you can have the option to either just do text okay or you can do video okay all right so if you want to have your hair done go on video if you don't i get it right right so not, not not Come on, you could tell us. It's just us here. Uh-huh. Nobody's going to be penalized if they're on ca- if they're in there, but not on camera. No, no. Okay, no, because you can say I just don't have the broadband capacity, okay. and that's fine. And our schools have been prepped; they know. Because Zoom has created some unforgettable moments Ooh. with people who don't realize the camera is on, or other people in their homes that don't realize that they're on camera. That's people right. who don't know how to use the filters, like the 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 judge. You thought he was he said telling people I'm not a cat. Uh, so. All right, so so let's get into the details of of why something like this is necessary. Do we have a teacher shortage? And if so, why? Ooh, you're just dropping the big questions (laughs) from the very beginning. So the answer, I think the question, if I may, is reframe it. And that is, do we have a shortage of high quality teachers? Okay, all right. Do we? High quality educators. And I would say yes. Okay. Uh, Why? It's an incredibly hard profession. Um, Adonica was on the show recently yeah, yep. and she said something that I love and that is a budget is a statement of your values. And yeah. as a community, we haven't really normed on what our values are. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about a young kid growing up and they are trying to break cycles of poverty, they not ne- they don't necessarily think about going into the teaching career because right. there's assumptions that are made okay. that you are underpaid and you can't have a career or a family. Those assumptions aren't necessarily true. Um, We also realize that teaching is a very hard and hard work. Oh, yeah. And so you're going to leave exhausted. I'm not going to even sugarcoat that. Mm -hmm. But it's also one of the most high impact careers that I've ever been a privilege of being a part of. In terms of what's contributing to the shortage, I think it is the antiquated model where you believed that you had to go to school and spend hundreds of dollars to get certified or hundreds of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. to get your bachelor's degree and then to get certified and then you go into the classroom and you might be making 30,000 a year. Right. That's not the case anymore. Right. Now we have opportunities where you can access per- the profession at any point. You could have gone to school for engineering major millions and then decide that, you know what, I want to go someplace where I'm going to have a high value impact in my and make community. A difference. I can get an alternative certification and I can go back and teach my community where I grew up mm-hmm. the things that I love and the difference that they make. It's interesting because there's this debate around teachers right now. So, but I want to go back to something you said in your answer, high quality mm. teachers, which has become a phrase you hear so much more now, which begs the question what percentage of our teachers are high quality versus the rest so i think that that creates a divisive pit it actually makes us 
feel like teachers have to prove themselves constantly, which is okay. exhausting. Right. When you're like, I'm a professional mm-hmm. and we don't ask our doctors who's high quality and who's not. We go. just assume that they're in seat and doing a damn good job. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we can cuss or not. Oh, yeah. So you like, can very I much very so cuss much, on here. Yeah, I thought. Um, <laughs> Trust me, I got media people who've come through here just because they know they can. Okay. <laughs> so I feel very passionate about this because yeah. I was a teacher and an administrator. Yeah. Um, I think we actually have incredible, again, as a former teacher in East Baton Rouge Public Schools, Mm -hmm. I know that we have massive amounts of high quality talent. The problem is they are just exhausted. And it's a a leadership issue sometimes. We Mm -hmm. need to make sure that we have the right leaders in place and that we're supporting our leaders so they can in turn support our teachers. It's interesting that you say that because there's so many young people who do choose to go into education, but they don't want to do it here. So they leave and they go to Texas or they go to Georgia or they go, you know, out west or the upper east coast and they figure I'll go there, I'll make more money and I'll have less headache and I'll be treated like I matter. Is that a reality here still or is that something people should realize has changed a great deal? I'm glad you asked that. Things have changed drastically. So okay. the average teacher salary in East Baton Rouge alone is 53 to 58,000. Mm-hmm. That's a great income yeah. for a teacher. Right. You don't have to go to Texas to get that. Plus, right. you get the benefit of being in your own community and giving back to the community that created you. Yeah. So we are trying to dispel that myth that you have to leave and go to a different state in order to be successful. Teach 225 was created specifically to help elevate this elite profession mm-hmm. and provide opportunities for collaboration and celebration. We are creating the community that our teachers deserve so that they can feel supported and that they can get the resources they need to be effective in the classroom. You know, I look at teachers like I look at nurses and doctors they're on the front line as much as police officers are because of what they do every day yeah i was having a conversation with someone who works in the school system in caddo parish shreveport Mm -hmm. and they were talking to me yesterday about the certification process here and there's going to be a bill in the legislature this year that starts next week that deals with certification and simplifying the process for someone either here or someone who's not here who wants to come and be certified in louisiana to teach does that play a role, things like that, in what you are trying to accomplish with Teach 225 and then work going forward? Yeah, so I would say that that lands more in the policy aspect, yeah, but yeah. I'm excited to engage more with that, yeah. particularly as our new executive director, Ken Campbell, steps into mm-hmm. seat. And I know Ken, I've known Ken forever. You got to get Ken. By the on way, here. Ken, if you're out there, thanks, bro, for telling me that you took this job, man. I had to hear this from somebody else. <laughs> I'm going to see you in these streets one day. Uh, so, so let's, and then going back to teachers again, and the, the we talk about this all the time because Baton Rouge has had had some issues with crime. Mm -hmm. And I took a group of business people earlier this week into the inner city. So we, after there was the shooting out near the mall of Louisiana, and there was a whole lot of chatter on Facebook, because you know, that's where all the smart people go to comment. And, um, and so people were making comments about this violence. And I was just saying to people, look, it, it's not just a one-off. There is a long linear line of things that happen that create what we see on these streets, starting with poverty, um, education, and all the family dynamic, all of the socioeconomic triggers that create this. And I took them to the hood. We got a sprinter and we went and they couldn't believe they were still in Baton Rouge. So teachers are engaging some of these kids every day right and i don't think we understand the hats that a teacher has to wear now versus 30 years ago right yep and i'm so glad you brought that up that goes back to the one of the questions of why are teachers leaving the profession or why is it difficult yeah um and i think if we have honest conversations about what role we want schools to play in the community we Mm -hmm. have to honestly say that in certain communities teachers and schools are going to play more roles 100 percent. they're going to need more resources period they are as essential as law enforcement you have and you have to pay them as much now you know emily for in EBR especially the issue is not money when you look at the what we have here in the federal drawdown you're talking about a nearly billion dollar budget yep money ain't the problem so then why is it so hard and, and I'm not I am not I don't want anybody to take this as I'm trying to throw the current administration at the school system under the bus this that's not what I do but but I am asking overall 
it seems like it takes a while for the dollar to make it to the classroom, i.e. the teacher and the student. And I think we should be able to work together, not not in silos, but work together as team members to help that happen. Could you speak to that just a little bit? So I think there's a couple things. Um, I think one, there are a lot of people at the table trying to grab the same pot of money yeah. without a norming on what our, again, what is our community value and what is the ultimate lever that we're going to pull or push in order to make sure that we as a community are thriving. Mm -hmm. I believe deeply and personally that education is that lever. Yeah. And specifically, it's making sure that each student has access to a really great teacher. Yeah. If we're going to do that, we have to ask ourselves honestly, what must be true or what are the enabling conditions to sure. make sure that we have the best people in our community entering into the profession and staying in the profession. And I don't think that we're normed on that as a community. Yeah, and, and again, the, the language of education so so often is so high level and in the weeds the average person glosses over because they've got their own life to live and their own mm -hmm. things to deal with mm -hmm. so when you get into the the wonky policy and some of the inner fights that go on people just kind of glaze o over and move on because it's like yeah. man i don't i don't so how do we how do we invite more of the public into the discussion of education and not from the left right political thing that so often runs people away but just to say look schools are at the nucleus of any community when schools thrive see what happens around it yeah. so how do we draw more people into that i think i'm going to go back to i think it's school right yeah. like we educate our students to understand what their civic responsibilities and what actually their capabilities are. Mm -hmm. So most people are as engaged as they believe they're allowed to be or that they know how to access. And so as a community, if we say you are as a member of our community, we want you to be engaged and here's how you can do it. You mm -hmm. can show up to this meeting. You can show up to this meeting. You can call your elected representatives and say, this is what we want to be true. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there are a lot of different ways that we can do that and it would be exciting and I think we could start with educators. So I think a lot of the people who make the policies actually have never been in the classroom. Right. Imagine how amazing it would be if the people making all of these decisions actually had the experience Go into the classroom, yeah. See the kids. Makes this. Yes. Or have the kids in there helping yeah. make some of the policy. Yeah. That would be incredible. You have representatives like Kimberly Eckert. Yeah. He's phenomenal. I'm a big fan of kids going to the legislature during session two yes. to actually see policy made because when you expose a lot of them to it, it is it opens their eyes. And and so often kids who are in tough situations can't see any further than the neighborhood they're in or the schools that they attend because they don't get the, the money isn't there to expose them to so many other mm. things. And so with the resources being there we have to find ways to broaden a child's horizon because they're born curious and they're they're and they're born wanting to win until some adult steals that inspiration from them and that's what happens all the time these kids get discouraged because sometimes they're in environments where people don't encourage them to just crush life no matter what it is you'll figure it out some way because you and i know sure as hell you know it takes you a while as an adult to figure it out but some of these kids have no energy around them that makes them believe in the power of their ability to win and, and that's just that i'm not putting that on teachers i'm putting that on us as a society we got to get better at that yeah and i would say if you were to get a group of people together every person in that room would have a story of one teacher who yeah. did believe in them 100% and did encourage them and did help them shine your light. Yeah. And that's what's incredible about the teaching profession is we know that hurt people hurt, hurt people. people. Right. And so yeah. our teachers are healers on so many different levels. Right. They share their passion, yeah. they share their care, and they help mend hearts. Mm -hmm. People who have a passion about anything who did not ever consider education a career, I would ask you, if you think all children can learn and deserve a good education, check out the hiring fair. Yeah. Or check out Teach 225 and realize how you can be the one that's helping those students see their light and their potential. So I wanna, I'm gonna come back to this, but I wanna ask a question about Teach 225 because it's on March 10th, four to 6 p.m. as we yeah. talked about, but what happens if someone misses it? If they yeah. hear this after the event has gone by, but they still have an interest in getting into the profession. So. I am always excited to talk to anyone about entering to the profession, even mm -hmm. if you're like, I'm not sure, but there's an inkling or I'm feeling that draw. Yeah. Um, they can always reach out to me at emily at newschoolsbr.org. They can go to teach225.com and reach out to us and ask. And again, I want to be very clear too, Clay. Um, 
just because my email address is emily at newschoolsbr.org does not mean that I'm just charter focused. Sure. I very much think of teaching like dating. Yeah. And what's incredible. Oh, wait a minute. Is like, Let me hear that. Hold okay. On. So here's how it works. Okay. For my current teachers too. Listen up. <laughs> this is about to be good. I sat back in my chair. So let's go. Okay. Okay. So you are dating someone. It's not working out if you're at a current placement. All right. That doesn't mean you leave the dating pool altogether. Okay. So if you're not happy where you're teaching, you don't leave the profession. We can find you a different match, whether it's in charter, private, public. I'm a matchmaker. Look at you. that's what I do. Dang. Okay. I see why you got the big title here. So how long have you been here from Missouri? You've been in, in, in Louisiana. How long? Look at you. Yes. So I moved down in 2004 and then I just, I loved it so much. It's, I didn't leave. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's here. amazing. Yeah. The people are good. The food is good. The culture is good. And yeah. I knew that this is the community where I wanted to raise kids. That's awesome. And so again, if you miss the event on March 10th, Emily has told you how you can contact her and and access Teach 225. Now, what information is at teach225.com for people who, again, may miss it on the 10th if they do? Yeah, and this is important for anyone who's really overwhelmed, right? We get right. paralyzed by what we don't know, Okay. right? You wanna ask yourselves two things. One, mm-hmm. where can I teach? Yeah. And how can I become a teacher? These are the two questions we're gonna answer on Teach 225. Where can I teach? How can I become a teacher? For those of you who are already teaching and saying, Lebo, I'm already a teacher. I know where I'm teaching, I know what I'm teaching. What I'm trying to figure out is how am I gonna remain in the classroom for the next 20 years? Yeah, We got you too. All right. We have resources and then we also have events throughout the year that bring you together to celebrate you and to help provide opportunities for collaboration because community is important. I think this is great. Uh, and, and you have some young talent in here with you who's gonna be doing the, the TV thing with you the next time and come and doing the podcast uh she can say hello right now if she'd like uh jasmine and and that micro well you could use that one or that one right there just curve it a little bit there there you go hello make sure you all please check out teach225.com See, she was ready for it. You brought, I, she brought it. I only surround myself with people who are smarter than me. Jasmine is incredible. Well, listen, that's 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 the way to lead and that's the way to win. And I think what you're doing is great and you're welcome here anytime. I'm going to take you up on that, Clay. <laughs> I'm going to take you up on that. I can, I can see it come across your face when yeah. I said that. It's like, okay, yeah, she will. But it's all good. I think you're doing great work. We are losing too many kids to the jail or the grave because they don't see a purpose for themselves. Mm-hmm. There are far too many young black men who can't read and have no direction and they're turning to violence because they don't know how to do anything else. And I think if we can encourage all children, but specifically those who are hurting the most, mm-hmm. if we can encourage them in a direction to where they can win at life at whatever level, whether it's being a plumber, uh, a mechanic uh, or, or a doctor, whatever it is, I think we should do that, right? I agree, 100%. Find your passion and go towards it. And it's okay if that passion shifts and you're a plumber right now thinking 100%. you wanna be a teacher. Hey. We got you. <laughs> you are on message. Thanks, E, I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for having me. The only interactive podcast in the capital city that lets you help solve a crime. There was a shooting. Okay, is someone shot? Yes, someone is shot. The Crime Stoppers Podcast with Clay Young. Just some suspicious people running through the parking lot before. Real stories. It was my first love. Real crimes. Real people. Real justice. The Crime Stoppers Podcast with Clay Young. Exclusively at podcast225.com. This is real life. Unfiltered. Uninterrupted. And on demand. You're listening to The Clay Young Show. All right, back with Chris Thomas King, musical talent and actor and the author of the book, The Blues, The Authentic Narrative of My Music and Culture. He is also going to be hosting an historical happy hour masterclass in West Baton Rouge at the West Baton Rouge Museum. And if you want to see him and I have a conversation, you can check him out on this week's edition of the Clay Young TV show on WBRZ+. Plus. Hey, man, how's it going? Good man, it's good to be here. A little, little, little chilly this morning. I thought we were all with the spring. I know, right? I told somebody the other day, I said I figured that that we have one more. Yeah, at least one more, and then we probably not even done with that. There's probably another one. Uh, so you know, most people recognize you from music, and obviously you were in the movie "Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?" But there's so many layers, so many more layers to what 
you do and, and what you're about. And we will we'll get to the book and the event next week. But I want to kind of talk about the musical lineage. You're the son of Tabby Thomas, who is a legend in these parts and have been around the music scene for so long. Was it inevitable that you were going to end up in music because of your family's history? Or was it just something that you chose to do through your own fruition? I think that uh, I think that with, with Tabby being my father, um, I had an interest in music very young, mm-hmm. and my siblings, you know, had a little interest in music, but not they didn't have the passion or the interest that I had or the curiosity about every instrument and how they worked. And he had instruments in the house and things like this. So I was drawn to music, but I wasn't exactly drawn to a particular type of music. I wasn't okay. drawn to the blues okay. per se. And and my father. As I be, you know, I guess they recognized my talent very young. But then as I became a young teen, I think my father, who had been a musician recording and stuff himself, but now he's a family man working at the plant and still trying to do his music. Mm -hmm. I think that he took me under his wing. I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back, I can see what happened. He kind of dedicated himself to kind of protecting me, but at the same time kind of controlling me and making sure that I carry this blues thing yeah he wanted to put that in me and he wanted me to carry it on kind of like i'm not making a, a direct comparison but you can like like the williams sisters their father yeah yeah you know he dedicated his whole thing to making sure that they reached their potential it worked out pretty good didn't it well <laughs> it worked out pretty good for them and yeah. uh, i'm still trying to make it work <laughs> well well i mean it's it's interesting because of the reputation you have as a musician and and the history behind it why did you choose to stay here? I mean, obviously, there are, there's, there's rich musical culture in so many cities across the South. And you, mean, I, you mean literally? Literally, you like mean, stay, stay in Louisiana and, and, and be so invested here as, as you are. Uh, well, I didn't. I didn't okay. decide to stay okay. here. I mean, my journey, um, when I, I, I used to live in Europe. No, well, I'm sorry. What I mean is you're here now. I'm here now. And, and, not, yeah. and, and not somewhere else talking about okay, here. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, uh, when I was when I was in in Europe, and uh, and I had decided to make my life there. My, you know, my daughter was born there. I was I was living in Copenhagen, and um, after some years, you know, I, I got I decided that if a tree fell over there, over in Europe, you know, a lot of jazz and blues musicians they have sometimes you have to leave the country mm-hmm. to have a little creative freedom yeah. or to find your voice. You know, a lot of our great artists, you know, found their voice in in France. You know. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, I was like, well, I should go back. I felt like I was running away. I should come back and fight. But my father, he was always sending me a letter, always yeah. reeling me back, to, yeah. you know, trying to pull me back, you right. know. And I ended up coming back and settled in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And so I was I was in New Orleans. That's where my movie uh, yeah. career took off with Old Brother, Ray, and some other things. Yeah. And then um, and then Katrina happened. Yeah. And I thought I would just, I was living down in New Orleans, but I thought I'd just, you know, get a place up here uh while while i rebuild Mm -hmm. and i'm still here yeah so and 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 maybe that's the way it's supposed to be yeah because of the investment you're making into people's knowledge about the musical culture here so i said in the open that you are the author of the book the blues the authentic narrative of my music and culture let's talk about that book and why you wrote it well it began as um my father was 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 diagnosed with alzheimer's Mm -hmm. And he'd have his good days and not so good days. And um, I was working with LSU to we got a folk we hired a folklorist to, you know, interview him and get yeah. get his memories. So from that, uh, I was gonna you know create a memoir, a coming of age story growing up in my dad's jig joint. Okay, and which he opened in 1979 uh, when I when I was like I said like a teen, and um, and as I began writing that book, Clay. Um, and I, you know, try to get references and, yeah. you know, read some other books and accounts to try to figure out, you know, what the story is or how sh- I should tell it. I realized that the blues didn't have a history, it, at least one that had it hadn't been written. And that started me on a journey and it changed the whole concept of the book to be an origin story okay. or a history of the blues. And I'm not just talking about Louisiana, but I'm talking about, you know, the blues, yeah. you know, for all of America, which it is the foundation of American music, and it took me on a, an extraordinary, wonderful, like I didn't know what was going to be under the next rock, so it was always exciting, 
But I always like, wow, you know, how come I don't know this? Why, how come more people don't know this information? Give us a couple of examples of things that you discovered in, in doing this that people may not know. Well, um, one of the lightest things is that uh, I, <laughs> there's other things that, that, that's very heavy that we can get into. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the things that is just that should be just known is that uh, African-Americans have no history in northern Mississippi with the area that they call the blue, where the blues mm -hmm. came from. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have any, uh, there, there were never any black slaves up there. We don't have a history. And when I talk about Mississippi, North Mississippi, I'm talking about north of um, Natchez, north of Jackson. Those yeah. are not considered the Delta. Mm -hmm. And in blues mythology, the Delta is up in northern Mississippi near Arkansas and below Memphis. And African-Americans don't have any history there. And because I was trying to nail down where everybody said that's where the blues came yeah, from. So yeah. that's where you start digging. Right. And then when you start digging, you find out there's no slave shacks. There's right. no churches. There's no uh, schools. There's no homes. There's no where, where, there's no there's you dig in the ground. You don't find any pottery. Yeah. There's no evidence of black people living in the Mississippi Delta in, in antebellum times. So uh, I learned that. Our culture don't really start in what they call Mississippi Delta until the late 1800s, like okay. 1880, 1890. They started recruiting people from Alabama, Georgia, Florida to come to the northern Mississippi Delta, which they had just gotten from the Native Americans, mm -hmm. uh, the Chickasaw Nation and people like that who lived there in northern Mississippi uh, and was removed by Andrew Jackson, um, which the city of Jackson is named after Andrew Jackson. Yeah. But they were removed to Oklahoma. And it was some years later, the reason people couldn't settle there is because of the, the annual flooding. The, 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 the river was not controlled. And it wasn't until around the 1880s, really the 1890s in Mound Bayou, when um, the Mississippi Delta started having blacks in a black community. Mm -hmm. And you, you've talked about how this Louisiana is more of a birthplace. Of, of this genre of music than that part of Mississippi. Where did that start? Where did? The, the, the folklore that Northern Mississippi is the birthplace of the blues. Well, see, now that's the, that's the heavy, that's the deep part. Let's get that's, into that's it. That's the deep end. Let's go. Yeah, it's, it, it um, you know, um, well, first of all, just to be clear for people that's listening, um, my research tells me that the blues began at the same time as Plessy versus Ferguson mm -hmm. was going up uh, the chain of yeah. uh, to the to the Supreme Court, and the blues was a pushback that Louisiana um, Black Creoles had against their culture being annexed. You know, their language. Um, people didn't want new. They had black newspapers written in French or Creole, and they want. They was trying to shut all that stuff down to make the legal language um, English, of course. Right. And um, pushing. Um, a different form of Christianity on people. And then, you know, they had these blue laws where you can't buy alcohol on a, on, on a religious yeah, day. Yeah, on a Sunday. You, you can't yeah. go to the horse races. You right. can't go to the balls, yeah. which we call festivals now. And, you know, in New Orleans. Some of those to, laws still exist today. Today. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, in New Orleans, man, uh, they probably got three festivals going on right now <laughs> as we speak. So, right. you know, um, that, that, whole, that way of life um, as the Anglo-Saxon Protestants came into Louisiana and began to take over uh, the government and take over the culture, uh, the Creole culture pushed back. The black Creole culture, mm -hmm. culture pushed back. And part of that subversiveness subversiveness uh, arose in the way they performed the music. Mm -hmm. And that's where the blues was born. It was born in the 1890s in New Orleans. And the word blues comes from an old um, French um, blaspheme, uh, Sacre Deal, or it was, you know, uh, later kind of softened to Sacre Blue. Mm -hmm. And so when you just speak in Creole, you just say, Blue, the blues, mm -hmm. blue laws, you know, anything that had to do with 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 non-Christian behavior, you know, it was all kind of related. Yeah. But then people took pride in the fact that they were singing the blues, yeah. or that they were people say we're a respectable joint. We don't we don't allow no blues around here. <laughs> you know, we don't allow no gambling and no drinking. And, and now gambling is on college campuses, drinking. Right, right. You can't go to a ball game right. without drinking. All this right, stuff right, that right. dancing used to be banned. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the University of Baylor. Uh, stopped banning dancing 
like maybe 15, 16 years ago. Wow. So there's a lot of little nuggets. And the fact that in, in Mississippi, so what um, that's that's the that's that's the origin of the blues. That's where the real origin story goes. And mm-hmm. then you ask me, well, you know, how do we get this other story? And the other story is a eugenic story. Okay. So um, it's a story that uh, in the early uh, 1900s, um, it wasn't about music. You had these people from North Carolina University, from Iowa and uh, Columbia University, they were eugenicists. And they were backed by, you know, Charles Davenport and a lot of the you know, wealthy eugen- yeah. eugenicists, Carnegie and people like this. Mm-hmm. And um, what these people were doing at the time, when they were, they, now there was a commercial music business beginning to take hold. Phonograph records were starting to be sold, but black people weren't allowed to really record in their own style on, re- on records in the early days. Uh, but what ended up happening is there's a uh, eugenic movement and, um, Whereas they would send people out with these field recorders to record the cranium of the of the of, of black people, in other words, they had calipers like measuring. They, you know, you know, eugenic people. They measure your nose. They got to mm-hmm. measure this. They got they measuring everything because they're trying to prove your inferiority. And so when they when you have John Lomax, Alan Lomax, and people coming out from the Library of Congress recording. But they're not recording. They're not looking for the hey, who's the most talented singer in town, or what what music are black people into? No, they have an agenda. So they go to uh, chain gangs and prisons and record people like this under the guise of mm. folklore, like they're folklorists. Mm-hmm. But they're not a folklorist. They really are eugenicists. And what they're doing is recording black people's consciousness. What they believe they recorded their consciousness. And then they're taking that back into their labs in their studio. See, like these sound waves you have here? Mm-hmm. So they had just discovered that when you record sound, it creates these sound waves. And so if it went to a certain wave or a certain peak here and a peak there, then that, was sec- that meant sexual deviancy, you know? Really? Or that, or that meant like uh, feeble-mindedness or, you know, some other kind of crazy whatever. Yeah. So they were recording this these these people in the delta uh, certain certain types of people mm-hmm. if you had gone to a college or something they not they don't want to record you they're looking for a certain type of person and then they're taking this back and trying to study this thinking that they can read these sound waves and uh and decide you know and kind of give scientific proof so to speak to the inferior you know intellectual capacity of, of black people what turned you onto that like what moved you in into that direction to start to learn that what you just talked about because um, it is deep yeah and what what took you in that direction you know i can't i can't recall a particular thing okay but it just you know you one thing leads to another one thing leads to another one thing leads to another at some point it's so obvious if there's no history of black people in Mississippi, and there's and, and people have been making music. Black people have been making music in New Orleans since the 1700s. Mm-hmm. You know, New Orleans had the first theater. Mm-hmm. New Orleans had a hundred-piece black orchestra in eight, in 1830s and 40s. You know, where people, I mean, I'm talking about a, an orchestra. They had enough free people in Louisiana, black free people in, in Louisiana, to support their own theater, the Renaissance Theater. And a hundred-piece orchestra of free people studying music and writing operas and stuff while at the height of slavery. Mm-hmm. But most of us don't know this. And so it's no coincidence that music, the blues, or any other kind of music would spring out of New Orleans because that was like, that was, that's really the birthplace of American music. Yeah. Yep. And unlike the other colonies, the British colonies, you know, we were French or Spanish, and then French and Spanish again before we became Americanized. But the drums were never banned. Mm-hmm. You know, they never, uh, the Spanish never tried to control the musical expression of black people. That didn't really take hold on for us. So we have this kind of African, more Africanized uh, cultural expression than most uh, American 
uh, uh, British colonies yeah. and other things like that. Would you say, and it's funny you say that about New Orleans. <clears throat> when I think about the, the style of music that comes out of New Orleans, it's maybe, and, and you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, it may be the most distinctive music because when you hear country music that can come from multiple places in america that's the blues um when you hear you know rock music or whatever but when you hear it's all the blues and when you hear the sound out of new orleans it's so distinctive so first i want to ask about that the the distinctive nature of new orleans music and then why you say all of the these other genres are born out of the blues yeah and and just to I was giving some context to your question, uh -huh. and and now I want to try to answer it. So to me, it's like you've come, you're coming from Harvard University. You know, a lot of these folklores. Harvard created the first folklore society in America in the 1880s, uh, 90s, or whatever, in the late 1800s. And so they created a folklore society, and they tra trained all these folklores, and they trained um, all these people who trained these other people. Like uh, Nora Hurston didn't go to Harvard. But she was trained by these uh, folklorists. But so the question becomes, if you guys are at these universities, you're, you're supposed to be educated, you're supposed to know all this stuff. And why am I, you know, why, am, why is Chris Thomas King hanging out, finding, you know, ordering uh, ancient books that and trying to find the first printing of, you know, mm -hmm. because books, they change, they revise sure. them. And how do I know this? And, and nobody else seems to know. And how can you be... How can people spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on degrees? If I had gone to Harvard to be a folklorist, I wouldn't know it either. <laughs> you know? Okay. And I'm like, why is this? So there must, there must be something else. So I'm, I'm still trying to answer the question. It's so obvious that African Americans are not from North Mississippi. That's not our culture. It's so obvious African Americans have been expressing music in New Orleans, you know, for a couple hundred years. Right. Uh, so... Why isn't New Orleans acknowledged or why isn't Louisiana acknowledged right. as being the birthplace of the blues? And that's the question I, I, I couldn't answer. So uh, that's probably just trying to really understand what happened. So mm -hmm. when you start looking at it, and this is getting to your answer about how it happened. So these eugenicists made these recordings and they would take the recordings back to the lab. These are not recordings for Soul Train or bandstand or they're not recordings for uh, commercial radio yeah they're not trying to sell records they're recording prisoners chain gangers you know lead belly over here in Baton Rouge yeah. and Angola they're recording people like this because they're trying to give uh, real proof to their political agenda that you know uh, black people are not capable of governing themselves or governing over other people and they're trying to, as they had done all through the 1800s, is trying to justify Jim Crow, trying to justify not investing in schools, trying to justify not investing in health care, trying to justify building more prisons, trying to justify why uh, we have to be segregated. So they're looking for some kind of pseudo-scientific proof. Uh, and so they, they had this new mechanism, this new musical invention, and they didn't really understand it yet. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were thinking that they could give some kind of scientific proof to the um, African-Americans' inferiority and say, ah, you see, that's why these people have to be segregated. That's why Jim Crow is, you know, it, it was just one of these kind of things. But funny thing is some of this music seeped out. <laughs> some of this music kind of, you know, uh, had found some other uses. People started liking them, some of the music. Mm -hmm. People start like, hey, this is some good music. These people sing pretty good. <laughs> and next thing you know, it becomes kind of like a, an industry. Right. You know, one man's garbage is another. So they, they're using these records for scientific eugenic experiments. But then uh, when other people finally heard some of them, they were like, I, we like this. And the reason why it's, it's false and a fabrication is because when Harvard got together and created their folklore society, mm -hmm. They didn't consult with any African person, nobody from Africa. They didn't consult with any African-American music masters, which there were many. They just decided on themselves what your folk culture is. And then when, and, and, and what they did is they used um, 
English and the British Isles, like England and Ireland, they use those kind of folk songs yeah. that they would sing, like Scarborough Fair and things like this. They use, and Barbara Allen and things, which no drums, because the drums wasn't a European thing. No drum, just guitar and a little melody or something. From their milkmaids and cowhands and stuff would, would sing when Europe was illiterate, you know, in the you know, 1500s, 1600s. And they collected these songs, and that was like folk music. Okay, so then they're trying to look for a false, they made a false equivalent for African music. So therefore, when you hear Ele Belly performing, or you hear this just acoustic performance, it's like they, these people are not trying to capture your um, folk culture. They're kind of staging it. And hmm. so you are performing according to their aesthetics, you know, not your own aesthetics. Because how can you have folk music from African Americans that don't have no fucking drums in it. <laughs> you know what I mean? What a, what a beat, what a groove, man. What are we gonna, how are we going to bounce to this? You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, the, the, whole, the, the whole thing is like it don't make any sense. So, um, so this whole idea, yeah. So this whole idea of folk music and stuff, and I can even go, there's more layers sure. to it. And, uh, and the Library of Congress is the government. And the government uh, continues to so this is this is fed to us as our culture. Yeah. It don't have anything to do with us, really. It's something that they created. And so this idea that we have, and I'm talking about all all, all of us, you know, the majority of us, uh, the, the idea that we've all been fed as a truism that the blues come from Mississippi. Yeah. That um uh you know, the blues is performed a certain way, a downtrodden, this, that, and other thing. All that stuff is is not our culture. It's mm-hmm. not a, it's not our authentic culture. Right, and that's the message that I was trying to say in the book. I'm telling you, man, that is that, look that right there is worth <laughs> worth the price of this event. And and you know we, we'll do this more, but I want to talk specifically about what's going to be uh, taking place on March 18th at the West Baton Rouge Museum. So as I said in the open, it's an historical happy hour masterclass that you will be conducting. What what is it? Yeah. Um, I had a program um, for high school students that um, I was doing at Personas, right, right down the street from you here. I used, mm-hmm. to, I used to host a weekly session yeah. where I'd get the kids uh, that was interested in music, get them in a recording studio, and show them how to get behind the board, how to record, how to play together, how mm-hmm. to do music. And of course, it was, you know, blues was the foundation sure. of it. And uh, I, it was sponsored by Tipitina's. And so we had a sponsor, and then we had um, to finalize... We did about three seasons, and then the last year that we did it, we invited kids from other music programs, from Lafayette and other Mm -hmm. places to come, and we had a big powwow over at Personas. And, you know, so each group got to see what the other people were doing and and perform, you know, for each other, not in a competition, but just kind of, you know, uh, having a stage to perform at, and their parents came out and stuff. So what I'm doing over at the museum and um, and they've invited me over when I was working on my book to do some lectures. I've done some things with them over there. And they have built a, um, they're kind of focusing on blues over there. Right. And they want to tell this story. And they've built kind of like an outdoor, kind of like a little jig joint. All right. Which they've been keeping a secret from me. They want to reveal it to me when I get so over there. So you haven't there. even seen it yet. Well, I've been over there and it's like, no, 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 we're going we're gonna to show it to you later. All right, right. So now it's supposed to be finished and they want to re- do the big reveal. So that's part of what's happening. They want to reveal this this uh, outdoor space where they mm-hmm. can invite people to picnic, you know, bring a, bring a snack, bring a glass of wine or something, a bottle of wine or whatever. Okay. And, you know, bring a, a lounge chair or yeah. something. And it's a free event to sit out there. But a lot of the kids that I was working with, now they're, they, they lead their own bands right. and they're out trying to make it in music. So a lot of them are coming back over there and they'll be performing. Uh, so there'll be live performances as well. So yeah. what time does everything start? I think it starts at six. I think I'm, I'm going to, uh, I think there's some refreshments or something mm-hmm. and, um, and, and some of the young bands are going to perform. I am going to do like maybe a 30 minute little uh, lecture. Okay. Uh, you know, to share some of this information I'm sharing with you. Right. And then we're going to end that um, with kind of a little concert. And I'm not there with my own band. I'm there 
like I said, I'll be performing with, with these young people. So, you know, the next time you do TV, you got to bring some instruments, man, because I told y'all Chris is on this week's episode of the TV show, him, he and George Bell, and I neglected to have either one of y'all bring a music a, a musical instrument i mean both of you guys are musicians i gotta come see you on the 18th i'm gonna do it and remember you can uh find out about look you can just drive over to west baton rouge it's on the 18th it's a friday evening you can come listen to some great music and more of what you just heard chris talk about but yeah dude the next time you come and do this stuff you got to bring an instrument or something with you well i would i would like to but you know um i've been carrying an instrument i've been on the road man i've been on this road since since I was eleven years old, yeah, man, you yeah, know? and this year I'm actually taking the year off. I'm not okay. even touring. Okay. I haven't played since COVID, and I'm not touring now. But I would love to come and perform for you. But the thing that people have to get used to is that I can I can talk. Oh yeah, but see that's the most I think even even as you say bigger than just the mus- the musician part of your. Um, your package is the knowledge and everything you're sharing with us about the history of the music, because and you know and you know what what else Clay? What's that? I can read. You can you can. I'm read. not illiterate. <laughs> well, and, and you know what else Clay? What's that, bro? I ain't never picked no cotton. You know, <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm just saying it's like uh, I come in lecture. You know, yeah. the blues man can show up and lecture with the other scholars, and that's that's just as important. As me playing the guitar, because everybody don't read music. Yeah, yeah. Now I can get on. I can pick up my guitar, yeah. and I can give you some references to this musician, yeah. or this song, and yeah. this thing. I can tell that story sure. in an instrumental performance, right? But it's most people ain't gonna ain't gonna understand what I'm trying well, to say. Well, yeah, because I've been saying some of this sure. in my recordings, and my albums, and my poetry, and my songs, and it gets over a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's important for me to get the. Uh, uh, public used to yeah because I, I i feel like i know it's a challenge because i'm breaking some new ground you know there no other blues musicians have written a book i mean this is not a ghost written book i wrote it's a 400 page book there's not a lot of pictures mm-hmm. i wrote every word and uh it's important it's important information because i think instead of me being the last of something I'm, i i want to maybe i can be the first of something right you know, in other words, young people don't have to make a choice between, um, in other words, in order to be an authentic, quote unquote, blues musician, mm-hmm. some, you got to dumb it down. You know, you got to play, you know, you got to lowball it and dumb it down. And we do that with hip hop, which which is we get the, the sociology of hip hop and blues is kind of in the same place. Yep. So we don't have to dumb, dumb our culture down. We can be we can be this and that or or to. To say that the worst aspect of being or the worst the, the worst behavior by African-Americans is actually the emblem of what the African-American experience is. And that's not true. That's far from true. Every culture has a percentage of their own. Every ethnicity has a percentage of their own that get into trouble and do violent things. But they're not always defined by that. And I find that black people are often defined by the worst of us. And I push against that from the way that you speak to the way that you carry yourself to the expectation of how you should be treated when you're in a place. Because as someone who has owned a business for over 20 years, I am not an anomaly. I am not an anomaly. I'm one of so many who have come before me. So I don't like to be treated like if I have a suit on, I'm dressed up the hell. with. And I, 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 I check people on that. A suit is a uniform. And it's not just for church in the courthouse. It's a uniform. And so I think culturally speaking, when more people are saying what you say, it does help. And I like that instead of being the last of something, being the first of something. So I encourage these kinds of conversations because when you normalize the expectation and the reality that African-Americans can and do win and trailblaze and create and nurture and can be gentlemen and ladies. And when you normalize that, then the, the anomaly is what happened in front of the mall of Louisiana, which, by the way, is the anomaly. The mall in front of Louisiana? Well, the shooting over there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it, because that, that kind of behavior brings a lot of attention to that, but that's, that's not the majority of young people. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And I, I agree 110%. Uh, but I would just add 
as a creative person, mm-hmm. a nuance to mm-hmm. to it. Give 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 you know uh, go another layer it. to go it. Go for it. Um, what happens with our with our culture, our cultural expression, yeah. whether it be music, art, you know, and arts and things like this, um, you know, so uh, you have this oppressive uh, uh, church doctrine yeah. that is uh, forcing you to be submissive or be oh, something man. that you're not. Don't get me started. You have this. You have this. Um, this government, who is a totalitarian government. Everybody else living in democracy, you live under some kind of, you know, um, you know, brutal, brutal regime. You know, you got lynching, you've got all, all, all this, all this stuff happening. And so what the last thing you want to do, and this is this is what the blues is. And that's why I think it's important for us to get back in touch with with with, with its true meaning. Um, what the what the blues is and what it was is that it came out saying that uh, I'm not going to be Victorian. You know, now you might see me sometime with the top hat on, and you know, I, I, I you know, uh, I, 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 I appreciate a, a brother who. But who, as an who, artist, that's a form I, of expression. But, but I appreciate, I appreciate a brother who not put it together. You know yeah, what I mean? So yeah. I appreciate you, Clay. <laughs> but um, so I'm just saying that. But at the same time, uh, what happens is that you want to be defiant. Right. You want to be subversive. You don't yeah. want to just be submissive to. Right. Um, somebody that's a, a culture that's that's trying to dominate you and erase your culture. Yeah, and so you have people smoking like like uh, Louis Armstrong. I think he smoked weed every day of his <laughs> life. So when you see Louis smiling, he ain't just smiling for nothing. That man smoked weed every day, every day. He's smiling because he's smiling. He's high. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What it what it was. Uh, you know, the beautiful, whatever that song is, he's, he's singing world. a wonderful world. world. Yeah, I bet it is wonderful world. up there in the clouds. <laughs> but, you know, but now it's legal. Yeah. Okay. You know, and so, you know, um, you know, people have these uh, these ideas about people drinking drinking whiskey, or drinking moonshine, or yeah. drinking whatever. You know, and we, it's a bad thing when we do it because what we're drinking ain't really... <laughs> I don't know what's in that bottle you're drinking, man, that you bought from the liquor store. But I've been to vineyards in, yeah. in France, and trust me, it's just grapes. Yeah. You know, it's if you get the pure stuff, it's yeah. good. Yeah. You know, um, these people, when you know, so I'm just saying, uh, some of some of these uh, vices aren't meant for poor people. Right. Poor people ain't supposed to be having cocaine. Mm-hmm. You know, that's for the that's for the rich people. They putting the, they putting the pure stuff up their nose. Mm-hmm. What you smoking and what you got, man, I don't, I don't, you can't even call that cocaine. I don't even know what that is, you know? So, I mean, you know, that, that goes with our, our produce, right, everything right, kind of, right. by the time it gets to, to, to poor black communities, it's poison. Yeah. But the subversiveness of being defiant, of being standing your ground and saying, you know, I'm going to express my way this way, I'm going to wear my hair this right, way or whatever, right. and the polite society can't get with it, I'm down with that. That's what our culture has been saying that we're beautiful in our natural sure. e- expression. But then once it becomes hot, once it starts selling, <laughs> once the white kids start Uh-oh. digging it, you know, then you got a whole bunch of people coming faking like they've been in prison, you know, like Rick Ross or whoever. Everybody, everybody want to get in on it. Well, the real guys, you know, took the, you know, it was real. It was real. And then other people come in, and it's just a, it's just a way to, to exploit, make money. The comp- the corporations make money. So we have to be able to, to make a dis- distinction between Three Six Mafia winning an Oscar for you know, um, what was the tune? Uh, it's hard out here for a pimp. Yeah. And you had everybody outraged. It's like, what y'all outraged about? These guys just won an Oscar. Right. You know, this is like supposed to be like the highest honor you can get in the film industry. Mm-hmm. But they ran those people, they ran those guys out of the business and made it like it was some kind of black exploitation thing. And everybody was so shocked. But hey, man, you know, when Curtis Mayfield was singing, uh, you know, I'm your mom, I'm right. your dad, <laughs> right. you know, everybody was, was yeah, dancing and yeah. was down with that. That's you right. know what I'm saying? And when, when, when you know, so. Uh, when Marvin Gaye sang Flying High in the Friendly Sky, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying that we get, uh, uh, if we know our culture, right. it doesn't matter what somebody else is saying about it. It doesn't matter what somebody else is trying to put a spin on it. Or, you know, if you know your authentic narrative, if you know your story, then 
all other stuff is just noise. You know, you got somebody faking it, somebody don't know what's happening. But some people are taking bow and arrows out here, you know, um, standing their ground yeah. to express themselves in an authentic way. And I'm always with that. And um, as far as violence and stuff, I mean, you find that in every community. In every single community. Well, all right. So you can hear more from Chris and see him. He's going to be in West Baton Rouge at the West Baton Rouge Museum on Friday, March 18th for an historical happy hour masterclass with this gentleman. You can also buy his book, The Blues, The Authentic Narrative of My Music and Culture. And quickly, can people find his website is ChrisThomasKing.com to ChrisThomasKing.com. You can check him out there for everything he's got going on. And brother, we look forward to having you back here on the show again. Can I add one little note? Go for it. Um, I just want to add a couple of little notes about the origins of the blues. And because you early on, you asked me what was fascinating. Yeah. I traced the history of the blues instruments. Yeah. When I traced the harmonica, that took me to China. Mm-hmm. So that really didn't, didn't, it's not our thing. But when I traced the history of the clarinet, it, it takes me to Africa. When I traced the history of the trumpet, the oldest known trumpets in the, in the world, mm-hmm are African trumpets. And there's two of them. They were found in the tomb of, of, of King Tut. Yeah. Um, the oldest guitar on record, which the instrument that I play, is an instrument that came out of North Africa, that came out of, out of Egypt. The oldest one on record is in Egypt. And then the Africans brought that instrument into Spain and introduced the guitar to Europe. And then they brought that guitar to Congo Square. Wow. And there's an image that a person drew in 1818 of that guitar and when you trace it back, you see that this, this guitar, oh, so in, other, in other words, I just want kids out there to understand that because they told me when I was younger that if you play the clarinet or you play this, you're playing some European instrument. Are you, you know, um, not be expressing the blues and, you know, here's the harmonica and here's an acoustic <laughs> guitar. This is your, this is your, this is your, this is all you can work with. Right. You work with these notes here. Don't worry your little head about these other notes over there. Leave that to, to, to these white boys, you know? But, uh, but every instrument in the European orchestra, the primogenitor of every instrument is African. There is no European or, originated instrument. If they got a hundred piece orchestra with bassoons, clarinets, saxophones, tubas, all those instruments, the French horn, mm-hmm. the French horn is just an, an, a long African trumpet curled up like a cinnamon roll. And so uh, I traced the etymology of words. I traced the, the um, primogenation of the instruments. And it all led me uh, to understand that our culture in, in Louisiana, when you hear people in the Carolinas, uh, you know, black people talk about black history in the British colonies, that's not our culture. Our culture really haven't been told yet, you know, um, and we need to start telling our, our, our story because our story is different from the Carolinas is different from the Virginias mm-hmm. is different from Harlem. We have a unique African, we're a different tribe, you know, and if you don't understand uh, Louisiana culture, you might see a funeral and you see everybody dancing yeah, and drinking yeah. and you think, that they, yeah. you think they're happy that the person passed away <laughs> right, if you right, don't understand what's going right, on. Right. It's, it's yeah. A, you think, man, they dancing on that person. Great. Right, Why right. are these people? Yeah. Yeah. Happy this person. No, you just don't understand our culture. We yeah. have a unique culture, but we can lose our culture. Sure. And that's what I learned with Katrina. Yeah. I learned with my father passing. If mm-hmm. he hadn't, if he hadn't forced this information and forced this, this desire to, you know, carry this on in sure. me, um, you know, I wouldn't be here telling the story, you know, here. So it's, it's, it's important for people like myself and you're doing it every day. Mm-hmm. You've been doing it for a long time. We have to uh, make a distinction between ours, the rest of black America and Louisiana. We yeah. have a unique story. We have to tell our unique story. Man, I love it. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Thomas King. Helping build a better tomorrow for Baton Rouge. Come join a team dedicated to making the capital city a better place to live. Join the Baton Rouge Police Department for the 2022 89th Basic Training Academy. We are hiring officers, criminal information specialists, fingerprint techs, and communications officers. A full benefits package is included as well as a retirement plan and additional benefits for 80 plus hours of college and college degrees. Be the change you want to see. Learn more at GoBRPD.com.
Expecting mothers and fathers? Family Rose Healthy Start Community Action Network wants you to stay healthy as we deal with the reality of COVID-19. Here are five tips to help you and your unborn baby. Keep prenatal visits to ensure good health of you and your baby. If you need help, Family Road Healthy Start has case managers who provide one-on-one support and is enrolling expecting mothers and fathers now. Stay safe by washing your hands before or after any encounter. You, your family, and children should wear masks in public. Pregnant moms, stay home if possible. If not, limit all outings and keep any additional family members such as your children home. Stay informed by getting all current information on COVID-19 from trusted resources. And finally, stay prepared in the event you may develop symptoms or test positive for the coronavirus. For additional information, visit womans.org. To enroll in Family Road Healthy Start, call 201-8888 and give your baby and family a healthy start. We'll get through this together. Without you, this show doesn't happen. So thank you for listening. This is Podcast225.com and The Clay Young Show. What a show, right? Man. So much great information. And I enjoyed what's happening with new schools for Baton Rouge and, of course, the amazing Chris Thomas King conducting a master class. And you can go see it in person in West Baton Rouge next week. Should be a great one. Man. Happy about this one. Thank you so much for joining, and I'll tell you again, you can check out the TV show this Friday, 7.30 p.m., 2 o'clock, and 2.30 p.m. on Saturday. George Bell, the great George Bell with the Capital Area United Way, will be on to talk about some of what's happening in our community and then the great work happening at United Way. And then, as I said, Chris Thomas King is going to be on to talk about what's happening in West Baton Rouge and a little bit more about... His book, you got you get a, a shorter version of it on the TV show because it's you know it's a shorter show. You got the long version here, but I think you'll still enjoy it. And I definitely appreciate you checking us out. Share the word with your friends. Hit that subscribe button if you hadn't subscribed to the show. Like and share. Like and share. We appreciate you. I'm on social media at Clay Young Br on Twitter. Clay underscore Young on IG and Clay Young on the book. Thank you for being with us on this edition of The Clay Young Show here at podcast225.com. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.